Hey guys, it's Tats here from Castagra, and welcome to the Specified Growth Podcast. Each week, I talk to leaders and experts about how to overcome adversity, grow massive organizations, and how to create meaningful change in the building materials and coatings industry. Today's guest is Chuck Garcia. He's a professional speaker. He's a best-selling author with the book, A Climb to the Top. He's a talk show radio host and a professor at Columbia University. Chuck, welcome to the show. Oh, you're welcome. Great to be here. So, I mean, tell me, I mean, your podcast or your show is called Climb to the Top. What, what started that whole project? Well, look, the title, A Climb to the Top, is actually the title of my book. And the subtitle is a little bit different. But four years ago, after my Wall Street career, I, I started, I did two things. I became what's called an executive coach. And that means that I spend a lot of time with people in the C-suite, mostly in financial institutions, because that's my pedigree. I was at Bloomberg for the majority of my career. I started to coach them. And at the same time, I started to teach college. And a lot of my coaching and teaching was based on the art and science of communicating face-to-face, on a stage, in a presentation, wherever that may be. Because I felt that through what was most important to me in my college, even though I was a finance major, the most important course I took, which had more value than all the other courses combined, was a course on debating. Mm. And I didn't do it to become a debater and I was surrounded by guys who were going to law school. I did it because I thought I could learn how to be a better communicator And what it taught me is how to be a more adaptable communicator in the art of debate. So when I left my Wall Street world behind and became a coach and started to teach college, there wasn't a book out there for the subject matter that I wanted to to teach. So necessity was the mother of invention. And I said, if there's not a book out there that I can use for my own principles of how I want to teach people to do this, then I'm going to have to write it myself. And I called it a climb to the top for two reasons. Yeah. One is I'm a mountaineer. I have climbed mountains all over the world, including Kilimanjaro and the Matterhorn. And I've climbed in Alaska in a mountain called Mount Bona in the Wrangell-St. Elias Range and others in the Andes. But what I noticed when I was ascending in my career Many of the people who were getting to the top of the pyramid, there was something different about them. And it was the way they communicated with great power and precision. And they had a presence about them. So the radio show was named in a way after the book, A Climb to the Top, but the subtitles are different. Mm. What I found is when I was coaching and teaching people, I found that this wasn't just teaching them something to make them smarter or better increase their career chances for success. Many were coming back to me and tell me teaching this art and science of communication was a transformative experience. Mm -hmm. So what we had in all of my clients, many of my students, were stories of transformation. 
So when the opportunity came up to do the TV show, and we also made a pilot episode that is being shopped in Hollywood right now of the same title, I figured it's a no-brainer. A climb to the top, stories of transformation. So for my branding purposes, there's a book, there's a radio show, and then there's a pilot episode that we produced and created last year. And so how's that for an answer? <laughs> no, you, you painted a picture. Now, you said that there was no book that existed the way that you want to teach it. What was the kind of thing that was missing, like, particularly? Yeah, what was missing is what I had done in my career, I spent particularly in my Bloomberg years. And I joined Bloomberg and it was a very small company. Nobody ever heard of the company or even Mike Bloomberg himself. Yeah. And he became, a, he became mayor of New York. He had a greater regional presence. But when he ran for president, all of a sudden he had a much more national presence. So when I was in the organization, I spent many of the years in the organization as a public spokesman. I was on stage quite often. And what I found is, as I was learning to become a public spokesman in almost theater style, all of a sudden I was finding that there were certain tactics and techniques that I was employing that became really important to people in the business world. Mm. And what I found is when I started coaching people to step onto those stages, I was beginning to use my own framework, which include very specific tactics for how to get onto a stage and to inspire people, to persuade them, and to provoke them to think differently. So when I wrote the book, I recalled all of these things that I did which in the book is in a framework called the Ten Commandments of Great Communicators, I found there wasn't a book out there anywhere that had those tactics that I had used that I was now teaching them. So I said, if I'm going to have to write this myself. So what started as just a series of blogs, I just started to put it all out there on LinkedIn and all of a sudden, what I found is, oh, my God, I've got material here for a book. So that's why I did it. Mm, okay. So uh, out of these 10 uh, commandments, which, which one's the most important? Which one kind of you sort of end up reinforcing the most? Yeah, there, there are three that come up the most. And, the, and I'll list a few of those 10 commandments. Commandment number one is called the primacy recency effect. Mm -hmm. And when you begin a speech or you begin a radio show or a television show, what we know about human beings and our ability to absorb information, no matter what the conversation is, whether it's formal or informal, it's the observation that people tend to remember the first thing that is said and they remember the last thing that is said. What happens in between is a little bit fuzzy, <laughs> which means for the primacy recency effect, when you're stepping on stage, make sure your opening is something compelling and powerful. And the reason that's so important, when I started to train people, they would get up on that stage and they would stumble and bumble for the first 30 seconds. Oh, my name is. And they give all these boring boilerplate background. Now, people don't care about that. Bam, just get right to it. Hit them with something hard that they're going to remember. Mm -hmm. Because when they leave that speech, 
They're going to remember the first thing. They're going to remember the last thing. Everything in between is going to be fuzzy. Okay. The second thing is the elimination of what I'm about to do. So I got like this. I mean, you know, like this. Well, it's sort of kind of one like you can totally like use, you know. (laughs) What I just did is the use of what we call filler words. And what I found is when I was coaching and teaching people, I'd ask them a question and they would answer with so, or they would answer, I mean, and all of these noises that don't have any particular context are just filling the air. They're filling time. So the second most important one is the complete and total annihilation of those filler words, also known as verbal crutches, to completely eliminate them. And just as I've done, in the silence, use a little bit of silence that helps the speaker to think about what you're about to say, and it helps the listener to absorb what is in the background. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, And then the third is called the rule of three. And just like we're speaking now, I tend to speak everything in threes. And it's a Greek rhetorical technique that if you look at the great speeches of the world, you'll notice that they are written many times in three. So in the United States, if you were born here, the Constitution says you are guaranteed life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. If you look at the great Canadian bands, Bachman-Turner Overdrive, Bare Naked Ladies, and it goes on and on. So there's lots of things in the world that are based on threes because we tend to remember things in threes better than we do in twos and fours. Mm -hmm. So when I coach Tatsuya, what I'm really suggesting is trying to figure out with anyone that I work with, you know, what are they good at? Where do they need help? And how do we take elements from the 10 commandments of great communicators which are the ones that apply most relevant to somebody's style. Mm. So it's either the addition and the practice of one commandment or the practice of a commandment by eliminating certain things. Mm. So when you were talking about public speaking earlier or communicating, I immediately started to think about Toastmasters and stuff. And then you said debate. And I thought, wow, that's an interesting thought. I mean, does that sort of, help you develop that emotional sort of resilience is you know i've never gone through a debate club or debate thing what do you think about that indeed yeah you know here i was and i'll never forget how important it was simply because there were 10 people in the class i was a finance major and there were nine pre-political science they were all heading to law school i was the only lone i was the lone guy not going to law school and people looked at me and said what you know what are you doing here (laughs) and about our background. And I said, I want to go to Wall Street. I said, why would you take a course in debate? And I said, well, a couple of reasons. One, I've never done it before. So I'm doing something I've never done, which I, you know, I'm glad to be doing that. But two, I felt that what if I was crushed by these other nine pre-law people, I was so out of my element and I was scared (laughs) to death. (laughs) But I figured everyone in college is so obsessed with taking a class that they're good at and getting an A. 
I didn't have that problem. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to take, I wanted to say yes to the thing that scared me the most because that's where I felt that I could get the most amount of learning from it. So here I was with these phenomenal, all of these, all of my mates had done debate in high school and they were really good at it. And I was terrible. But it, what it taught me was the power and the importance of adaptability. Mm, okay. That even though you may have a position, I wanted to learn the way a lawyer does a summation to the jury. Okay. That it has to include, number one, the power of emotional appeal. Uh-huh. Just stating the facts is not persuasive in and of itself. Uh-huh. There has to be a frame of which you want to present the facts. But if you're not tugging at the emotion or the heartstring of the person that you're trying to convince, you're going to have a very difficult time persuading them to your cause that somebody is guilty or not guilty. And I figured if I could learn that, it could only be of a help to me. I didn't care if I got a C, a D. I figured if I just don't screw up, I won't get an F, (laughs) but it had nothing to do with that. What I didn't know at the time, Tetsuya, that it was setting me up for a career that I had no idea how important this was going to become, but I encourage every college student, every adult, Toastmasters is great, but if you learn to debate to look at at an issue from someone else's point of view. You learn empathy, Mm. you learn adaptability. There's so much good stuff in this thing we do as human beings to communicate to each other. We learn to speak with purpose and then to listen with intent. And if you can just stay focused on that, <laughs> Who knows how how high you can climb to the top? Yeah, it's simple, but it takes a lot of discipline, right? As Steve Jobs says, it's simple but not easy. <laughs> so another thing that you know may, may be a simple but not easy is to climb mountains, right? Everyone's climbed a little little hills, but I, I know you've climbed some serious mountains. Tell me about that. It was really born out of a moment of both introspection and opportunity. And it goes back to on 9-11, I was scheduled to speak at the place called the Windows of the World in the World Trade Center. And the world thought I was on my way to the building before it collapsed. I hadn't made it in there, but I lost many friends on that day. It was a sad day, but we celebrate our lives. I lost three colleagues from my company. I I attended a, a dozen, maybe I think 15 or 16 funerals and memorial services. And I remember that day, even though I was on the dead list for a few hours, it really was a moment of introspection. And I think all of us, and you didn't have to lose a friend or a loved one to find that space for introspection, but it really hit me like a ton of bricks, like, oh my God, I was supposed to be in the building. I was supposed to be speaking. Yeah, yeah. So what what changed that day? You said you were supposed to be speaking just now. Yeah. So what deviated in your schedule? Yeah, a couple events happened. Originally, I was scheduled to speak at 9.30 that morning, and it was an industry conference that took place in a a restaurant at the top of the the World Trade Center called Windows of the World, which is a big restaurant and conference facility. 
So there was an industry okay. event. A couple hundred people were coming to the event and I was speaking it on the 9.30 slot. A friend of mine who had a three o'clock slot, he had called me and asked me, hey, I've got a conflict. Can we switch? Yeah, yeah, no problem. So I just switched the times. It turned, yeah, it was one of those. And it turned out that as a result of the switching times, I subsequently received an invitation to speak at another conference on the same day in a different part of New York. And so I spoke at 9.30 at a conference in Lincoln Center neighborhood of New York. And I was speaking at around 9.15. So I was keynoting that. So I was the first speaker of the day there. A couple hours yeah. later, my intent was to finish there, then head to the World Trade Center, where I was going to speak in the afternoon. It was oh. during that speech at 9.15 in the other neighborhood where my speech was interrupted where the hotel that I was speaking came in and said, hey, and they whispered to me on the stage, hey, something happened at the World Trade Center, you, you know, blah, 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 blah. And so I stopped everything. Anyway, I'll get to the point. I used that moment, uh, having gone through all those funerals and memorial services, to really look and examine myself. And I was blessed. I had a wonderful career and, and wife and children at home. And I said, you know, I want to do something to honor the spirit of my lost friends. And exactly one year later, I'll get to the punchline. On 9-11-2002, I stepped on the summit of Mount Rainier. It was my first mountain expedition, so to speak. I grew up in a, a fairly winter wonderland. I learned how to ski and skate from the time that I was a little kid. But I'd always thought about it. And I had read a book called Into Thin Air by a guy named John Krakauer who talked about the Everest expedition in 1996, where a dozen people died. And it really inspired me to, wow, maybe I could go climb a mountain. So I yeah, climbed yeah. the mountain on 9-11-02. And when you get to the summit of a mountain, you sign a book. And I signed the names of my colleagues that I had lost. And I did it to honor their spirit. Yeah. What I didn't know, Tatsuya, was it unleashed the beast in yeah. me. When I stood on the summit. <laughs> And a year later, I stood on the summit of Mount Kilimanjaro. And then a year later, or two years later, I climbed the Matterhorn. And then I climbed in Alaska, in the Andes. And my most recent mountain was a mountain called Mount Elbrus in the Caucasus Mountains in Russia, which is, which is Europe's, geographically Europe's tallest mountain. So it very much became a part of me, a part of my brand, my book called The Climb to the Top, my radio show. Everything I talk about in the narrative for how I teach has that mountaineering flavor to it, that realization that if you're going to climb any mountain, be it proverbial, a physical mountain, an entrepreneur, it doesn't matter. We're all on mountains. And what I knew about every mountain climb is there were, there were three dimensions to the mindset. You set a goal. Mm -hmm. The goal is not to get to the summit. The goal is to get home. So you set a goal. You take one step at a time. And then you realize you can't do it alone. When you and your partner, you, you guys had this entrepreneurial spirit to you. I would say, even from your point of view, would you say that those three things, set a goal, one step at a time, can't do it alone. Did that apply to your projects and your mindset? Absolutely. Some of it didn't come naturally, right? Because you got to hit the wall sometimes. You realize you can't do it yourself because entrepreneurs love to take stuff on. Right. You know, exactly. And, and what, what we know about climbing a mountain 
it's not a singular event. It is, you, there's a little bit of luck, you know, you get weather. And I think, you know, the, like with an entrepreneur, sometimes better to be lucky than smart, but you still got to stick to your wits and stick to your technical competence. But it is such a collaborative effort that people come and go out of our lives. But one thing I have come to just stunningly realize is the importance of collaboration for the purpose of a mission or a common goal. The Navy mm-hmm. SEALs will tell you that, you know, I've never been to combat. I don't know what that's like, but I get that mindset that the mission is bigger than you. And if you're going to accomplish the mission and you're going to climb the mountain, it's really based on the trust, not so much the technical competence. That, that's pretty good. And everybody's pretty good at it. Just like with engineers or finance guys, everybody's smart enough. It's the trust and the collaboration that these are the people that I want to be with on that mountain when all goes bad. And when that happens, that's the stuff we love because that's the stuff that we carry with us home. It's what's in our minds when we go to sleep. And this mountaineering thing has just been a wonderful metaphor for how we live our lives how we climb our careers, all of that. Wow, that's a great story. Now, through your show, you may have interviewed a bunch of people with great stories of overcoming adversity, you know, handling no's. What stands out as a story that's really sort of impacted you? I have had the pleasure of having 25 radio shows. And I will deliver to WABC as part of a contract another 27. So it's for a year, it's 52. And there are many more coming in. And there have been many CEOs. And I think th- there was one story that really struck me that it was from a Wall Streeter named Tom Harden. And he was working at a hedge fund, which is an investment manager. And he had traded, he had done a trade using insider information, which is not just unethical, it's illegal. And the story was he thought he was getting away with it until one day the FBI showed up and met him at the bottom of the building. And they said, we know who you are. We know what your family did this weekend, blah, blah. They they knew they were watching him. Mm. And he related the story of oh my God, how could I have been such a jerk to make these gross, not just errors of judgment? I broke the law. And he came from, his dad was a truck driver, I think for Coca-Cola. And the proudest moment of his parents was the day he got into the Wharton School. Like, oh my God, my Ivy League son. And then he went to Wall Street. And what he talked about was the saddest day was his father was the day that he had to tell his dad, I've been convicted of a felony for insider trading on Wall Street. And you could just hear just a complete madness of how could I have done this? But Tatsuya, what I loved about the story, it wasn't the story of the criminal act. It was the story of facing, having the courage. And now ultimately I'll say he turned state's evidence. He cooperated with the FBI. And although he was convicted of a felony, he didn't serve any jail time because of his cooperation. But this isn't the story of someone that did a criminal act. It's the story of someone with the courage and the valor to face what I have done, to take the consequences, to accept the responsibility, that this was not a story. Look at all the great things I've done. 
This is a story of mm-hmm. forgiveness, the story of compassion, of reconciliation. These are the human elements. They don't teach you at Wharton or Columbia or University of British Columbia, wherever that may be. We're so busy teaching them how to be the engineer, how to be the finance guy. But life gets in the way and we make decisions, good judgment, bad judgment. Who knows what we're capable of doing? And that really stuck out because he showed such vulnerability and he opened up and he wanted people to know you are going to be tempted. And when you are, I hope you will take that, just take a breath, lay back, step away from that temptation. Think about what are you about to head into if you succumb to the temptation? That was a really good one because he was so honest and vulnerable and he put his entire humanity out for the world to hear. And not all of the stories have that angle, but they're very much about failures and screwing up and experiences the name I give to my mistakes. All there. And that's why I love doing this show. Because people aren't coming in talking about, look at all the great things I did. Look where I graduated from college. It was so boring. Yeah, this is much more interesting. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. Um, <laughs> I like that story a yeah. lot. So what other ways can people become more resilient? Everyone faces adversity. It's what we do after that counts. But and not everyone takes those initial steps and, and does it right. Like, how do you... How do you sort of get people on, on that right track? Yeah, I think there's no one formula that works for everybody, but there's a few common threads that I think work to help people get their mind in the right space. And when we think about leading, I think what a lot of people don't recognize is you're not, if you're going to lead others, the first person you're going to have to learn to lead is yourself. And that was the mm. Aristotle quote that knowing oneself is the beginning of all wisdom. And part of why I teach college, I think we don't spend enough time in helping people to understand themselves. We expect them to memorize stuff and to do very well. And that's, that's good. There's, there's a lot of value to that. But when we teach leadership, what's the point of teaching them how to be a leader if they haven't looked into the mirror and figured out, well, what about me? How do I lead myself so that I may lead by example? So it, it starts with the mindset that when you look into that mirror, the recognition that I'm not perfect, it's okay to not be okay. Don't try to strive for perfection. That is an unrealistic expectation. Strive for progress. And and I think the most important part of it is the removal of fear. And I think my job, and people ask me, what do I do for a living? I think the thing that I hope I bring the most to the people that I coach and the students that I teach, helping them to face the fear. And the fear usually comes in two places. Fear of making a mistake, fear of judgment, and then the whopper, Mm -hmm. fear of failure. And I think Mm -hmm. if, if we can help people to get comfortable in the discomfort that you're not always going to be the smartest in the class. Nobody really cares. You're not always going to have all the answers. You just have to know someone who does just as good. 
and you're going to make mistakes. It's part of us not being robots. It's who we are. And when you make them, own up to it, fix it, and just keep climbing. And I think that is a mindset. You can't teach that as a skill set. It comes to people where they recognize that this is my whole self. And you come every day to the office with your flaws and your vulnerability, whatever that may be. That's good. Doesn't mean you have to wear it on your sleeve all the time. But I think people really relate to others that are willing to show, hey, I made a mistake. Here's what I did. Here's how I fixed it. And then we move on. People love the honesty. Mm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, overcoming, being able to deal with mistakes. How much does sort of understanding your purpose, like the mission greater than you, and how does that fit into all this? It does because... We live in a world where if I just take my phone, I have the capacity to take a picture of myself. That's the selfie world. That's something 20 years ago, no one could ever have envisioned. Why would anyone take a picture of themselves? And I think it comes with the, the unintended consequences of social media. Everything is out there all the time. It's about me and my picture and look at me and look at all the things that I've done. And I think society, we have to resist the impulse to always be focused on the self because what we know is the great things in the world, anything that has ever changed, was changed because of a group of a a small, generally group of committed people to something bigger than themselves. And I use that to really teach the heart and soul of something called servant leadership, that what I do for a living I go to work each day in the service of someone else's success. And as long as I am focused on other people's success, they in turn will reciprocate and they will help me to be a success. And that's something I learned in mountain climbing, which is called the law of reciprocity. That when you're on that mountain, You're not just worried about yourself. You're worried about the guy in front of you and the guy behind you. When soldiers went into battle on the line for thousands of years, they fought that way where the soldiers came on a line. My job as the soldier is to protect the man to my right and protect the man to my left. I don't have to worry Mm -hmm. about myself because somebody else is protecting me. So as long as I'm focusing on them, they then will focus on me. That's the generosity and the spirit that soldiers and mountain climbers and baseball players and soccer players, they bring that spirit of reciprocity so that we unify those efforts on the recognition that all of us is bigger, greater, stronger than any one of us. And it's not something I can preach. It doesn't work that way. It's something we help people to begin to think about and develop the mindset of form the people around you, help them to succeed. They will give it back in spades. And not everybody gets that, (laughs) unfortunately. (laughs) Yeah, it definitely takes a lot of uh, growth and transformation. Now, you've gone through some very sort of impactful events that transformed you or started that transformation process. Now, if you could go back to your 
to your younger self, you know, jump in a time machine and, and go back, you know, what sort of wisdom would you pass on? I would say if I could rewind the clock, I would say I would have changed completely the subject matter that I was focused on as I was learning my own professional development. And mm. when I was learning and I was early on in my Wall Street career, I was really focused mm -hmm. on, the, on the subject matter. And that's good. And, and you need that because you need competence and you need character. And you need them both to succeed. You can't succeed with one or the other. But I would say, and this is what I'm saying to my listeners, and this is what I want to leave everybody with, whoever touches me in any capacity. There are three keys to focus on for your professional development that I think, in my humble opinion, are the keys to not just success, but to happiness and prosperity. Number one, unequivocally, is the need to communicate in more powerful and compelling ways. And I'm not talking about just speaking. I'm talking about establishing emotional connections with the people who are important to you. The second thing, learn in order to earn credibility, trust, and respect that comes with being an exceptional collaborator. And I cannot emphasize that enough because that's not something that comes naturally to a lot of people, particularly those that may come with an informed opinion Having an open mindset to realize there's other ways to skin the cat or other ways to do things beyond what's in your head, be open to that and it can be taught. And the third one, A number one, I teach a course called Emotional Intelligence. It's my favorite course to teach because it really helps this journey. There is a quote that the longest journey that any of us take is the 18 inches that separates our hearts from our mind. It's an old Chinese proverb mm. because our, we are always caught up in this tangle and tug of war of what my mind tells me and what my heart tells me. My wisdom, Tatsuya, to everyone out there, whatever this is telling you, do that. Drown out yeah, everybody else. Right. Drown out what everybody else has to say. Everybody's got an opinion about you. Everybody's tells you what's good for you. That's ridiculous. Have the conviction. It sounds a bit trite. Do what your heart says is best for you, irrespective of everyone else. Because so many successful people have taken the path, the road less traveled. I'm a guy. Mm -hmm. I prefer the road less traveled. I don't take comfort in following the path that everybody else has done. I don't get it. It's already been done. Mm -hmm. I don't feel better doing it. So those are my three takeaways. That's awesome. Listen to your heart. Have a mission that's bigger than you. Debating the importance of communication. Very good points. Is there anything that I should have asked you but didn't? I will leave you with it, and I think it, it answers a question of, for anyone who, for any of our listeners, and, and thank you very much, it's a pleasure to be here, but whoever may be listening, ask yourself every day, whether it's going to work, whether you're, you're home, ask yourself, what do I want the person in front of me, whoever that may be, or you're working with, what do I want them to think? What do I want them to feel? And then what do I want them to do with what it is we're, we're communicating about? 
And that, that's the call to action. I just found throughout the course of many, many years, there's a lot of talk and chatter, but often we don't know what to do with it. We don't know how to ascribe value to what's right in front of us because we haven't developed the mindset of every communication has an action and an opposite reaction. And I think when we don't have that mindset, what it leads to is often false expectations. And what we know about the world is most conflict and most disappointments come from either mismatched or unfulfilled expectations with others. So if if I could leave that is be very mindful and careful to align your action in your words every minute of every day, because the moment somebody feels a suspicion that you're not aligning that or that you have a hidden agenda, your credibility will be shot in a heartbeat. And so I think that is what I can leave them with if they were in my class or in a coaching session. Don't be talking about all the great things you're going to be doing. Just go out and do them. Or if you're going to tell someone you're going to run the Vancouver Marathon, by golly, go run it. Even if you screw it up and you don't finish, just do the thing you said you were going to do. Because if you don't, I don't have any reason to believe the next thing that you tell me. And there's not enough of that. Perfect. Actions speak louder than words. Thank you so much. Indeed they do. But we have to hammer it home. Yeah, my pleasure, Ted. So yeah, thank you. It's, it's great being on here. Thank you very much for the invitation. It's a pleasure to meet you and to be part of the C-Suite Network. I am blessed for that and grateful for your time as well. Yeah, thank you. I want to thank everyone for listening to Specify today. also want to thank the listeners who are working hard each day to change the world to make it a better place. If you know anyone, anyone that would benefit from this episode, please pass it along. And finally, make sure you subscribe to hear upcoming episodes. Talk to you soon. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.